Welcome back to In the Know. I'm Luke Diamond. I'm Kendall Van Horn. And we are here with Kendall's first story this week that she reported based on an article by Jasmine Snow. Yay. Did it go well? Yeah, it went really well. Okay, good, good. Looking forward to it. Uh, First week of school is over. Good entrance to the school year. Yeah, still getting used to being back, but it's nice to be back. Nice to be busy again. Yeah. Yeah, summer can get kind of long and boring. Yeah. So back to the grindstone. They don't tell you that. They don't. Okie dokie. Let's uh, jump into your first story of the school year. This week's story actually begins in the 1970s in the world of college sports. Okay, 1970s in college sports. Not where I thought we were starting, but let's, uh, let's go into it. What do you got? So in 1972, there was a huge disparity between funding for men's and women's sports programs. In general, men's teams had bigger budgets, better equipment, and nicer locker rooms. Women just got whatever was left over. In fact, women's teams didn't even get to play in championships. No championships. Nope. No women's championships. But all of that changed in 1972 with a little piece of legislation called Title IX. Is that, um, is that the same Title IX from sexual harassment cases? Exactly. At the time, it only affected sports, but its impact would reach much further. And what exactly did Title IX say? So it says no person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any education program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. So basically it's just saying, hey, schools that receive money from us, the federal government, you have to treat men and women equally because we say so. Exactly. So suddenly, women's sports programs received equal funding, and participation skyrocketed from around 300,000 female athletes in 1972 to over 2.5 million today. Whoa. Yeah, and so the reach of Title IX eventually grew to address topics like student housing, sexual harassment, and scholarships, all the while remaining closely tied with women's rights. But... Minnesota Daily reporter Jasmine Snow found a story about a college professor who is flipping Title IX on its head. My story essentially was about how there is this man, his name is Mark Perry, he is a professor in economics at the University of Michigan, and he is going sort of across the country and kind of has been pointing to universities that he um, has perceived are violating Title IX. And in what ways are they violating Title IX? Um, They are women-only programs. Interesting. So he is claiming that because these female-only programs, I'm assuming, don't have a male-only equivalent, that they are in violation of Title IX? Yeah, basically. I actually spoke with him on the phone. Sure. I'm uh, Mark Perry. I'm a professor of economics at the University of Michigan. To better understand his complaint. So what happens is, is that it turns out that there's a lot of universities in the country that enforce Title IX to any kind of discrimination against women, but then they overlook discrimination when it happens to be against male students or male faculty. So what I realized a few years ago is that there's this huge double standard in Title IX enforcement and Title IX compliance. So what kind of examples does he have of this actually occurring? Well, he has quite a few, actually. There's a lot of, still a lot of programs. There's scholarships, fellowships, awards, camps, clubs, organizations, initiatives that are often um, single-gender, female-only programs. 
Perry has filed a number of complaints against such programs. So I've been successful now. I've filed something like 55 complaints with the federal government. And based on those complaints, they've opened up 20 different Title IX investigations. And the other, about 30 approximately, are being reviewed and they're pending. He's found success at the University of Michigan Flint, Clemson University, and our own University of Minnesota. I see. I was trying to figure out when we'd factor into this. Yep. So he filed two complaints against the university, and he already won the first, which alleged that some scholarships that were only available for female-identifying students violated Title IX. The second complaint is being investigated right now. And what's that one about? Well, it hasn't been resolved yet. Then I noticed on the University of Minnesota website that there were three faculty awards that are restricted to ex- and are exclusively for female faculty only and so that male faculty are not eligible to apply. Basically, there are three faculty awards. The Mullen Specter Tro Woman's Leadership Award, the Ada Comstock Distinguished Woman Scholars Award, and the Sarah Evans Faculty Woman Scholar Leader Award. And they can only be awarded to women. Mark complained to the Office of Civil Rights that that violates Title IX. They agreed, at least preliminarily, with me and said that there was a basis to open up a federal investigation for those three single-gender female-only faculty awards that I'm claiming violate um, Title IX and put the University of Minnesota's you know, federal financial assistance in jeopardy if they don't correct that. Has the U responded? Well, since the case is still pending, they couldn't say much. But Tiffany was able to speak to Miara Klein, a University of Minnesota senior who served on a Title IX panel last spring. I think for the most part, the men that I'm talking to on campus are pretty understanding of the historic significance of the fact that, you know, the University of Minnesota was not created for women for a co-ed institution. I have heard of incidents where I think there are also, there is also jargon around that issue that, um, you know, she just gets extra help or she gets that scholarship because she's a girl. Although Perry did point out the fact that women actually outnumber men in many realms of academia. 40 years ago, women became the majority gender for enrollment in higher education at all levels of college. And then by the early 80s, women became the majority gender for earning college degrees. And it's the same for master's degrees, associate's degrees, doctor's degrees. Despite the fact that women comprise the majority of students, they are still the minority by many other measures. There are fewer women professors. There are fewer Uh, women doctors, there are fewer women engineers, and I think at every level there is a glass ceiling in academics in college. And I think that women have really found that being with other like-minded individuals who share that same struggle is meaningful and powerful. I was the only girl in a class of like 25, 26 in physics in high school. Kat Franson is a chemical engineering major and the treasurer for the student group SWE, the Society of Women Engineers. SWE seeks to promote gender diversity in STEM fields, where women are historically underrepresented. I didn't have that community then, and I wasn't really deterred, but I know plenty of people who had a similar experience and were strayed away from pursuing science because of that, because they weren't being supported. While the 1 to 25 ratio she speaks of may be extreme, the proportion of female undergraduate students in STEM fields is very low. In spring 2019, Females made up just 28% of undergraduate students in CSE, according to the Office of Institutional Research. 
If SWE is women only, is it vulnerable to a Title IX complaint? Well, actually, the use chapter of SWE is not exclusive to women. We're open to men joining the organization as well. We have two men on our leadership team, even. We're really just looking to find people who are looking to find a more diverse workplace. So just kind of being inclusive to everyone. Exactly. Actually, Mark Perry spoke along the same lines. So I think that would be the ideal way to just kind of um, offer educational programs that are open to all gender identities. They're completely co-ed, or maybe now co-ed's not the right word, but they're just open to all students who want to participate. And so they don't even really need to mention gender boys, girls, because they are all open to all gender identities. And Miera felt similarly. It says a lot that our Title IX office is an equal opportunity um, office as well. If students and staff and faculty and people are you know, saying, hey, I don't identify as a man or a woman. What are my opportunities? How can I be protected so that I can have a sports team to play on or a student group to join? Uh, I think that's a really interesting place for the conversation to go. And here's the rest of the U's News. The University of Minnesota Department of Biochemistry, Molecular Biology, and Biophysics canceled a course days before fall semester began after graduate students complained about the professor's past violations of the university's sexual harassment policy. According to an Office of Equity and Affirmative Action report in 2017, Gianluigi Veglia sexually pursued and made inappropriate comments toward female students. Because he is one of the few professors qualified to teach the course, the course was canceled. Researchers from University of Minnesota and Harvard University completed the first national study of opioid prescriptions over the course of a day. The study discovered that physicians are more likely to prescribe opioids later in the day, adding further evidence that the time of day significantly impacts clinician decisions. By me, Luke Diamond, and was reported by my co-host, Kendall Van Horn. Our intro music is by J.D. Duggan. Listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to hear more about this story, check out Jasmine's article at mndaily.com. Also, one more heads up. We just started a sports podcast. It's called The Weekly Rundown. It's hosted by Paul Hodawanek, the sports editor here at The Daily. You should totally check it out. A new episode comes out on Friday. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening.